just counting in. Hey everyone, this is Josiah, and, and I'm Steve. Welcome to Truth and Fiction. Uh, today we're going to be addressing an old classic, a, a film, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh-huh. One of uh, one of my personal favorite from the '80s. And uh, Steve, if you would do me a favor and give me the quick 30-second plot summary. The 30-second plot summary. All right. So it, it pretty much runs true to the title. It's about a kid who decides to take a day off of school, gather up a couple of friends, uh, because he doesn't have a car. <laughs> uh, Sloan is his girlfriend, and Cameron is his, uh, is his good buddy. He's known for a very long time. And the, there's basically three parts to the plot. So there is the day off with Cameron Sloan and... Ferris as they do a lovely trip through Chicago in the mid 80s. There's another plot going on with a, a rather inept villain uh, who's uh, <laughs> Mr. Rooney, who represents the uh, who is the principal or the dean of students at, uh, at the high school that, that that must rein in Ferris. Ferris must be stopped. He's a, a threat to uh, his ability to govern the student body. Um, and then there's a, a, a more subtle thread, which is Ferris's sister, who uh, is undergoing her own uh, challenge, uh, is having some challenges too. That her brother is so popular, so you know, never does anything wrong, always gets away with everything, and she's just done with that. So she's sort of at her wits end with that little bit, and she uh, uh, will undergo some change as well. So that's uh, that's pretty much it. It's uh, as Josiah and I were talking before the mic started rolling. The plot of the story is very thin um it's n- nothing dramatic but this is an absolute character driven piece yeah it's a gem of a, of a movie that way you know most of today's movies seem to be so much plot driven and this is a, a comment steve made a couple of days ago and we were talking that some of the old literature a lot of it like gatsby for example which we, we talked about it's not so much about the plot of what happens like there is a plot and it keeps things a little bit interesting gives it a, the whole the novel as a whole a focus but so much of the story is really based around the characters mm-hmm. and the change that happens over the course of the narrative right and uh and this movie w- one of the reasons we picked it, it has a really interesting structure that way where the character the main title character of the movie isn't actually the character that has the change so mm-hmm. while it's called ferris bueller's day off he's the plot uh dr- he's the plot driver right but the characters who actually make up the story who change and who grow and who have you know those transformative experiences are characters around him which right. creates a really fun dynamic right right and so it begs a few questions um we can talk about what happens to these characters but well let's start with ferris and I get a sense of who this guy is and what his purpose is in this film. Because as Josiah said, Ferris is the same when we meet him as he is in the end. In fact, he basically repeats his first line from the movie at the end of the movie. So he has this bookend uh, idea that, you know, if life moves fast... If you don't get out there, you're gonna miss it. So right. it's that's his. A, that's a frame his, story. Right, right. So, but he does not. He's the same person that he was in the beginning, and we can't say that for our character Cameron. I think we can also say that for his girlfriend Sloane, who doesn't go through anything, any kind of dramatic uh, change at all. Right. The yeah. the two characters who actually progress and who, the, in my opinion, the story is about these two characters it's actually cameron and his sister yes, yes uh yeah. which is really fun that in in the movie you have this moment where the whole music changes it's right after cameron 
uh, pushes the <laughs> the Corvette uh, off the, the, the stand, Ferrari, and th- the or the Ferrari, yeah, that's right, yeah. off the stand and through the window, <laughs> and everything crumples, and and they freak out for a second, and instead of going catatonic like he does previously, he he laughs about it for a second and goes, well. I guess that means I'm going to have to face him, you know? Right, <laughs> and there's the, the, the whole movie, the, the music crescendos, and you get this this pinnacle moment of transformation. Right. Sort of reaffirming this this interchange that's taking place in Cameron. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. It's yes. Like, it's, so, it's such a cool moment. It is. It's a great moment. And I think it's great that we don't see what happens when his dad comes home. Uh, we know he's going to be all right. And I think it's a great line where... I think Sloan asked Ferris, is it, is it going to be all right? Is he going to be? And he said, he'll be fine. For the first time in his life, he's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you sort of trust that and say, yeah, this is going to work out okay. His dad, you know, there's lots of signs of probably emotional abuse. Um, there's, you know, the, the, oh, my dad's freaked out before. My dad's going to do this. My dad's going to do this. And there is this uh, this underlying sense of rebellion and rising up against and, and resisting um and, and, and with low stakes i mean you know cutting class <laughs> is not like you know there's a it's not like you're uh, right. you know standing up to your boss and you know and then you know getting yourself fired or something like that there's, but it's actually a little bit of an archetypal theme here mm-hmm. um uh, there's so there's this chaos and order thing going on. Uh, so Cameron's dad is is sort of the extreme end of order. He's like yeah. the, the tyrant king in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the Ferris describes his house, or actually I think Cameron describes his house as you know, everything is so clean right. all the time. The museum, right? Touching it, right? It's right, like right. a museum, exactly. Yeah. So it's stagnated in its in its. Um, lack of progress he right. no nothing can grow within the context of his father's right. house because there's no room for any chaos right, it, right everything is super structured and ordered right and so cameron is he seems more well when he's sick it's right. like it's like he needs to bring on a little bring a little bit of chaos into his own house right. for the sake of his own development right you right know, it's, he, it's so far to that that structured mm-hmm. side and then obviously uh ferris I think Ferris is supposed to be a little bit of the middle ground. I think he's kind of the the happy sweet spot where he's got these parents who care about him, but right. they're not over strict and they're not um, they they right. give him room to be himself and to play and, right. to, and to grow. And then I, this is kind of I think the one point Sloane plays in this. So so typically chaos is uh, personified as a woman historically mm-hmm. or archetypally. Um, there's the 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 feminine part of that. Uh, has to do with their you know, the, the unpredictability, the the potential for for amazing things to come out of mm-hmm. it. Like the one of the reasons why chaos is described as feminine is because out of chaos becomes new things. Right. So a, just a like birthing a, of order. Exactly. Right? So, yeah. yeah. And you can't have something new and beautiful without going into someplace unknown first. So mm-hmm. the first, the unknown and the chaos always precede something new and beautiful. And so Cameron, uh, he he gets a look at Sloan while she's changing, and she thinks he's <laughs> catatonic, which is this funny line that they put in there. Right. Um, but that is actually the at the transformation point right mm-hmm. there, too. Mm-hmm. So he gets this encounter with the feminine, uh, and okay. then at, as he comes out of that, that, that drives him to, to finally take himself a little bit more lax, and he pranks his, his friends there as he pretends to drown in the, right. in the, in the pool. And it gets him out of this catatonic state, uh-huh. and then he and he's transformed into a uh, a being that is able to deal with both order and chaos, uh, that's and not, he can stand yeah. up for himself. That's a that's a nice. I think that works. I think that works really well. I don't. 
I, I didn't know if I was ready to give Sloane that much credit, but I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna agree with you there. Um, I didn't know she, what to do with her. She I know she's a, she's tough. I mean, it, it you know from a traditional storytelling sense, right. I mean it's you know if this is a and there are many elements of a quest story that that's going on here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the you know the idea of a quest is not really what like what to accomplish, and they do do a lot of stuff, right? Right. You know I mean? But that's again we're not the plot's not it, but there's growth and transformation that happens. So mm-hmm. the journey itself becomes the 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 change in the character becomes the is the is the ultimate goal of the journey so it's not like what the what the physical goal is and they didn't really have a physical goal they were just going to go do as much stuff as they could they were going to have a good time (laughs) right um so it it is um so yeah I, i agree completely that cameron is our guy that we need to look at i think you've done a nice job of looking at his it is family. It has a it has a, a satisfying ending that he is going. You know, I think we think he's going to be okay. We think he's going to make some of the changes he needs right. to be a happier. He'll be better off. He'll be better off. He's going to take some heat, but he'll he's, be better off. He's integrated a little bit of his his shadow, and, right. and he's going to be more of a real person in some sense, less right. less lopsided and more well, capable in the world. There's a there's a one of my favorite scenes, and I'd like to talk about this a little bit because it. Um, the art museum in yes. Chicago. And then this is very much a story of, you know, all John Hughes' movies take place in Chicago. And a lot of times in this fictional town of Shermer, Illinois, um, which is where the breakfast club takes place. And 16 Candles and other, a couple of others feel pretty in pink. They, they, they all live in this fictional. He's often said that all my characters inhabit the same universe. So they're all uh, okay. in, the, in, this, in this Chicago. Oh, I didn't know that. And, he's a, and he, loves, he loves Chicago. And if you really, if you... One of the things I noticed when I watched the film again is it is almost like a love letter to Chicago. I mean, the way that it's lovingly shot. It's, it's very it's, romanticized. Oh, to be sure. all the oh, <laughs> all the uh, all the beauty, all the mm-hmm. the you know the iconic nature of Chicago is in that film. So it's really, uh, it's it's quite an ode to the city itself, and and I think there's some real beauty in that. But one of my favorite scenes, and I think it's a lot of people's favorite scenes, is is the art museum scene, um, where you know you get a lot of different works of art. If we look at Cameron as our as our um, main guy who goes undergoes change, and probably I would say our most interesting character, um, he looks at a, a painting, a very famous mm-hmm. painting that 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 an afternoon, a Sunday afternoon on right in the in the on the something in French right, <laughs> or something, yeah, yeah, yeah wrote it the, down actually right Sunday in the park at Las something like that. Sorry, my French is terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like Spanish. Uh, the uh, so one thing that I kind of looked at was, boy, they really do spend a lot of time on that painting, and they do right. this thing, and and so that that they um, give you a really close up look. It's a, a Sunday afternoon on the Isle of La Grande. There we go. Thank you. Yep. And he, uh, he they, you, they, you're right. They get that scene where he's like staring at it. You can see there's just emotion in his face. Right. Right. And it kind of zooms in from the full picture uh-huh. uh, and gets closer and closer on this child who's holding his mom's hand. Right. And then it, it zooms all the way down to the dot level. And that, right. and those of you who aren't art majors may not know, but that that one of the iconic aspects of that painting is the fact that it's made up of individual dots of right, color right. rather than brush strokes. Exactly. Exactly. So we look at that that kind of art which is uh called uh pointillism which is what josiah is talking about these individual dots that you don't really see something until you step back from it so if you're looking at it up close those dots don't mean anything but if you take a broader if you take a broader view of it then you actually see something something emerges from that so i think that there is some 
some depth into what's happening there. I think there's, there's a purposeful use of that. Now, yeah. I've looked up some stuff that John Hughes has said about that uh, piece of art. And he says, the more you look at it, um, the, uh, the, well, let's see. I want to take a quick step back while you're, while you're uh, putting that to get that thought together. Because okay. when they first go into the art museum, there's this scene where there's all these kids walking yeah, by holding yeah, hands. Yes. And I, and I, didn't I mean, it just seemed so so whimsical at first and then I thought about it for a minute and thought how brilliant that was because what it's showing is this return to a childlike state of admiration yes. and a, a simplicity and and they join they this join line of line. kids it's wonderful and of course you know this, uh, Ferris is leading it and Cameron's kind of the last in line getting dragged along but but that's, I think, a precursor to this discovery, to this being exposed to art and uh -huh. being in the position to let the art change you. And so this, I think this art itself is actually one of the, um, it, it's one of the agents of transformation that Cameron encounters on this day. Right, right. Um, and it's right after this scene where he's looking at the painting, where he's sitting kind of brooding and unhappy and he makes this comment. I think it's his next line in the movie. He makes this comment that I haven't seen anything good all day. Right, right. You know? And so there's <laughs> there's a conflict happening inside right, of him. Right. Just the, the previous moment, second ago, yeah, he's yeah. sitting here having this emotional experience looking at this piece of art on the wall in the museum. Right. That's great. Um, I was looking for the quote that I had written down uh, about what John Hughes said about Cameron looking at that piece. And I, th it's something I'll have to paraphrase it because I don't have my my notes are kind of uh, sloppy, but he talks about how he's wor he feels like in that scene that Cameron is worried that he is not seen at all that he's just one of these dots hmm. that this is what I am uh, I, I I'm that I'm I'm looking at myself and I don't even see myself but I'm not getting that quote right though so let's we'll move on from that I'll see if I that can. was one of those things that I was trying to I was I thought about for a while and I couldn't I couldn't get a real right. grip on it there was something to there's something to this child being held by the hand and I feel like maybe he he was recognizing how stuck he was you know he I think yeah. he feels like a child being held by the hand whether it's Ferris dragging him around and you know, pushing him into anything new and exciting he has to be forcibly thrust into. Right. Um, or if it's just as this feeling of being stifled into, you know, total stagnation by his parents, you know, I'm not really sure what that would be. So I found my quote that I was looking for from Hughes, and he thought, and this is from John Hughes, I always thought this painting was sort of like making a movie, the pointless style. You don't have any idea what you've made until you step back from it. But then he talks specifically about Cameron, and he says, For Cameron, the more he looks at it, there's nothing there. He fears that the more you look at him, the less you see. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, like the deeper you look, the deeper you address the painting, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the less, the less uh, defined it seems. Right. And that's right. that zooming in on that painting and the spot. It, and exactly. And being a picture to being just a bunch of muddy dots. Right, right, right. And I think it makes Cameron think, like, what am I? I'm one of these dots, and I make up something bigger. I mean, I'm, right. you know, but, but what is that? And, and it, it, I think the actor does a great job of, yeah. like, showing that there's, I mean. Well, and just the moment before, them. he's talking to Sloan in the street, and they're asking each other what they're going to do after high school because they're both well. He's he's going to graduate that year, and mm -hmm. Sloan's got another year another of high year, school. Yeah. But 
but he has no idea what he's going to go for. Right. He's right. obviously from this wealthy family. He could go to yeah, college. He could sure. do anything. He assumes he's going to go to college. Yeah, yeah. But he just has no direction. He's aimless. Right, right. Yeah. I think that that's, you know, what, as a dot, what am I as a dot? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because we're all, as a point. We're all a, a dot there. And I think that's where, you know, he's looking at that and saying, wow, this is, this is really something. Um, that is one of my favorite scenes that, you know, the art is getting, you know, they were basically picture or things that, that John Hughes himself really loved. They were specifically, those were his favorite mm, paintings and stuff. Pieces. And he would go to the museum as a refuge and stuff. So, um, so that, that's pr- pretty cool. I mean, if we look at the plot that's, um, and, and because there really are, if we look at his basic, his field trip <laughs> that he goes on his self-imposed field trip. So they end up going to the tallest building, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's a line where he says that anything's peaceful from you know, yeah, 1,100 feet, which I think probably has yeah. some some uh, deeper meaning too. I mean, I think it's really probably about the Sears Tower. Right? It's really, I think so. Yeah, okay. I, it's really, a, you know, I think of it as like let's really look at our life. Let's really examine where from the, we are from really far back, right, almost like right. Cameron looking at mm-hmm. this picture from farther back. Exactly. So I think there is this introspection that Ferris prompts the other two to do. You know, mm-hmm. like that. You know. It's not just experiencing things. There is these little lines of, of, of introspection and the importance of understanding where you are and how you, how you fit into this world. Then they go to a restaurant, which is actually you know, pretty comical, well, too. And also a, just the fashion. ability to admire the picture as a whole, like humanity as a whole, mm-hmm. the, the city as a whole, right. rather, than, rather than getting too caught up. Uh, about your own place in right, it. right. Don't they say something like, "I think I see my dad down there" right. or something like that? But but let's just yeah. It's sort but, of and that big, immediately big brings it stressful again, right? As right, soon as he right. Starts worrying about where his dad is. Right. So if you start worrying about the dots and not yeah. see the big picture, you could that, miss out. Yeah, you could get yeah. That could really get you wrapped up. Right. So it's a, yeah, two sides of the same coin. I think there. Um, what do you make of the restaurant? Because that's uh, another place for, <laughs> for uh, you know, th- the, 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 again, there's this, there's this flaunting of authority and this sort of middle finger to, to uh, anyone, uh, adults, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and they are all, I think, even the mom and dad are actually really um, sort of over the top in their sort of, you know, uh, cluelessness right, right. <laughs> you know for different reasons Re- you know the dad who c- comes across his son a couple times in the movie but then yeah. what, what, you know and, it, right. well, and, and yet you see is... him you see him doing his job though at one right. point and he's a he's a pretty efficient person oh, yeah. but but there is this this level of buffoonery that it that <laughs> is is it's just really it's actually quite comical it and, is and, it's funny so but well, it's and, it's, and it's his deliberate. parents aren't presented as negative authority figures mm-hmm. like they're a bit clueless but on the whole they're really positive and the reactions that they have are, to all the circumstances are very reasonable and right. kind and you know yeah. they're, they're unlike rooney or unlike uh-huh. the waiter at this restaurant right so right the waiter at this restaurant is shows up as this really <laughs> snobby yeah. irritating full of himself kind of guy and he's supposed to be a service professional right right, right. Uh, of course, you know, the funny thing is nowadays in California, if you get someone like those kids, the way they were dressed, showing up at a fancy restaurant, you wouldn't bat an eye at them. You'd assume right, they're, right. they're rich because that's how rich people dress right, these days. Right. But anyway, so he he's immediately set up to be this kind of despised secondary character. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. You, as a viewer, you don't like him. Right, right. And they don't like him. Right. And, and he stands in stark contrast to everyone else Ferris encounters outside of Rooney and his sister. So Right. They, all everyone in the city who comes across Ferris pretty much just welcomes him in. He's mm-hmm. this he's this sort of archetypal hero in some sense right, right. where 
know, <laughs> he, he just everything, everyone bends to his. Oh, yeah, and, it can go. It goes his way yeah. all the time. This guy threatens that a little bit. <laughs> and, and and what Ferris does is he digs deep. He, right. He, he, he doubles, he said, doubles down. He doubles down. He yeah. says, it's never too far. <laughs> right. Right. You can never go too far. Yeah. Right. And if I'm going to get busted, it's not going to be by this guy. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so he recognizes something uh, veiled about this mm-hmm. guy's um, his attempts at being strong and paying the, <laughs> doing the power play over them and I, I i i just i just see the contrast i just see the contrast between him and the rest of the world and mm-hmm. i think it's reinforcing this sort of overarching theme of um of actually the value of seizing the day like the uh-huh. value of, yeah, yeah. of enjoying a moment for the sake of the moment right, and not right. really worrying about what anyone else thinks about it and and the I think the the big thing that one of the one of the huge six why his movies are so successful is because they're able to do that his characters are able to do that without the benefit of any kind of parental help at all. Right. This is all it's it's self. Uh, I don't need uh, an adult in my life to mm-hmm. be able to have the kind of self realization that people are telling me I need to have. Um, that they, you know, like I said, they 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 manipulate this world in such a way that that the adults. Again, I, it might be a little strong. I mean, for sure, Rooney is a, is our buffoon, and so is his secretary. And, you know, you're you're sort of, you know, the, even the nurse who comes to tell Sloane that her grandmother has died. Like, all the adults have this sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> sort of lameness to them. And that's perfect for a teenage movie because that's typically, you know, and, and if you see the amount of eye-rolling <laughs> that goes on, <laughs> like, with, right. with these parents and, and even... I agree with you. I think Ferris's parents are are kind, and they are um, they're you know I think what you would call good parents. Although you see a, a slightly different kind of parenting with Jeannie, with right. the daughter. Which is funny, yeah. So, Which, so we, you don't see the mom get all feisty with with Ferris, with Ferris but but he, with the daughter, she's uh, there's some a little a bit of anger and stuff happening there. It's funny about and and you actually see the same thing, the same sort of slightly aggravated interaction between Jeannie and the office administrator who's this sweet like kind of ditzy lady. Right. And right as right as Jeannie is leaving her office for some reason, she, I don't know what she was trying to figure out. The 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 office administrator lady gives her some sass. Yeah. And after she's gone, she goes, "That's a little asshole." Like, <laughs> yeah, she's, 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 right. she doesn't like her. People don't like her. But she's too uptight. She's too yeah. anxious about the rules. Right. And another theme that runs through this whole movie is externalized difficulty versus internalized difficulties. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ferris at the very That's beginning yeah. makes this line that says, "A person should not believe in an ism; they should believe in them himself." And, and he obviously believes in himself right. very thoroughly. Right, right. And it's his own agency. It's the fact that he has completely owned his ability to make decisions for himself. Right. And his willingness to take responsibility for his own actions and right. make life happen around him that makes him so admirable. There you go. Everyone loves that. Yeah, he, doesn't, yeah. he doesn't externalize his problems. Right, right. And in, with Cameron, uh, actually, so there's this other line that G, or that the, um, uh, what's it, Kevin Spacey, so, or Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Yeah, Charlie yeah, Sheen yeah. Says yeah. To, to Jeannie when they're in the in the prison or in the uh, the booking area of the, uh-huh. the police office, he goes, "Oh, the problem's not with Ferris. The problem's with you." Right. And Cameron has a says a really similar line at the end. He says, mm-hmm. "The problem's not with my dad. The problem's with me." There it is. And the, there's this recognition right. that that really the struggle that the, the the core of these struggles aren't with these external forces. Right. 
other people trying to push you around. It's the fact that you're unwilling to take responsibility for your own actions and your own thoughts and your own feelings. Right. And that's a really profound. That is a profound thing. thing. And that's, yeah. And, and for, um, it's yeah. a silly movie. I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a for, deep truth. That is a very deep truth. That goes back all the way. I mean, that's a that's Shakespearean. There's a line, I think, in Julius Caesar that says, the fault lies not in our stars, but in ourselves. You know, like, mm. so, so don't, we can't blame these external forces. Not like, oh, fate had this in store. It's like, no, it's this is all me. Right. And there's this <laughs> so, kind of funny implication that because Ferris is the one who does that the best and he's sort of he's the hero of sorts. Uh, there's this implication that fate itself will will bend to you, like mm-hmm. because he has these strokes of luck. Oh throughout. yeah, yeah. And and so this implication <laughs> that the world orients itself, like the nature of reality is such that the world around you will tend to work in your favor yeah. if you take responsibility for yourself, right? And your own thoughts, your own actions, and your own decisions. That, that is that is yeah. an implicit truth right. that's within there, and, and the and, opposite is true. Yeah. And the opposite is implied as well. You know, Jeannie says, I can't ever get away with anything. She's, right. she's grumpy about it, right. but it's because she's in externalizing her difficulties right. rather than taking responsibility for them herself. The, uh, like you said, the, the universe does sort of bend to Ferris. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about the, it, 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 there's the, even at the, when things are looking like, oh, he's going to get caught or something's going to happen here. <laughs> dad um, looks the other way. At the, yeah, there's, there's always that, that kind of thing. Or they, they sort of get in this cab and they're, you know, there's those near misses and stuff. They just add some, some little minor tension that keeps it moving. But I was thinking about the last, um, scene when the parents are coming home he's got to try to get in the bed and he forgets to turn off the snoring and he takes the baseball that he's got the baseball machine <laughs> and he throws it and it's a perfect hit shuts the thing off and then it lands in the perfectly glove. in the glove <laughs> and i think that shot there is what josiah is talking about where the universe it's just perfect like it's just like yes if you if you do your part <laughs> everything's right. gonna fall into place if right. you've got your if you've got your mind right and you've got your and you're taking control of yourself a, um, then the universe will follow suit. It's a little bit of an unsubstantiated claim, but it's we ex- it's one of those things that we kind of intuitively accept to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's one that we'll probably see repeatedly throughout um, some of the the fiction that we discuss because it's actually a fairly common uh, thing for for heroes in these stories to have things go right for them that don't necessarily have to go right. Right. Um, and sometimes things go wrong that, you know, despite their best efforts, right. but, but there is this hopeful idea that, that if you act right, the world will tend to tend to bend in such a way as to help you. Right. Right. I think too, when, when Ferris does run into real problems that he is facing. So the biggest ones probably, the the car itself you know mm, like, right so, doesn't no, have a car so he doesn't yeah well that too <laughs> <laughs> oh you mean but, the, the but ferrari the, the ferrari that gets uh, sort of hijacked by the yeah, by the right. by the parking attendants <laughs> um so that's something that it seems like ferris is not aware of he's that's a there's a mistake on his part right. to trust this car in this law so that's a, a so, right and he doesn't make many mistakes right so that's one of them that happens and then he um so when the car comes back, he's got more mileage on it. He tries to, you know, well, we'll, we'll reverse the mileage out. So I mean, that doesn't work either. So that's, a, that, you know, that's not working. So his last line is that we're in about the car. He said, well, we'll just pop the odometer, glass off the odometer. We'll roll it back by hand. But as he's finding these things, he's, he's always very solution-oriented. So he doesn't ever get, oh, my God, what are we going to do now? There's never right. any panic on his part. It's yeah. always real smooth. 
Um, every little uh, thing that he encounters, he encounters very calmly and collected and with this sort of quiet confidence that it's all going to work out. Yep. And even this with the thing going off the the garage, it's all going to work out. Okay. Yeah. In fact, we know it's going to be great for Cameron to have yeah. this, uh, to have this, you know, argument or what's going to, what we hope is, is going to be a very positive an thing. I think an improvement in his yeah. life, which I think it will be. I even think if it what... goes, the thing is, even if it goes terribly and his dad kicks him out of the house, he's still better off. Yeah. There That's you just go. it. Like yeah. He, yeah. He's recognized that, that his own, uh, unwillingness to stand up for himself has been his biggest, obstruction to growth right. and progress in his own life exactly and so he's realized that heck even even if it goes as bad as it can possibly go i'm still in a better position than i was before i've made this realization yep that's uh <laughs> that's really great um yeah and, and he says i, I gotta take a stand i mm -hmm. gotta take a stand i'm tired of being afraid and these are things that I think um, young people... My old man pushes me around. I never say anything. Right. Well, he's not the problem. I'm the problem. Right, yeah. And I'm going to take a stand. Take and a I'm, stand. Gonna, I'm tired yeah. of being afraid. That's, so, uh, that's great. Well, we, uh, <laughs> there, uh, we could talk about old Rooney for a, 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 a <laughs> bit, who is, uh, you know... Well, can I finish that quote, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to sit on my ass as the events that affect my life unfold around me. I'm going to take a stand. That's like nice. that closing line with yeah. the crescendoing music. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's the the big overarching uh, moral of the story. Uh, if if there you is will. One. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yes. It's yes. Because that's, that's what Ferris does day in and day out. Right. He just, if he just, he is first, one of his first lines is, you know, how could I go to school on such a beautiful day or right, something to right. that effect? Yeah. You know, he's, he's willing to stand up for what he values mm -hmm. and do whatever he feels like and make it happen. Right. You know, no matter what it is. And that's just, that's the way yeah. he's built his life. Right. And Cameron finally realizes that. And right. He's like, right. okay, I can do this. I can do this too. Even in the most sure. extreme circumstance. Right. Right. And, you know, it follows that he'll be able to do that in lesser ones as well. And that would be good for him. Right. I agree. I agree. Um, well, the the character of Rooney we know Rooney. is is in is in trouble. He's a, he's he's our uh, he's our inept villain, yeah. um, and his his zeal in which he pursues <laughs> this uh, <laughs> Ferris Bueller. Yeah. I said he's kind of like the, like the Captain Ahab going after the the, the, <laughs> the, white, the, the whale. white whale. It's like he's got to get Ferris. He's got to get Ferris, and we know that's a very common trope in literature that this. You know, when you want something so bad in such a misguided way, it's it's going to be wonderful for the audience to watch you fail. <laughs> to watch you <laughs> so, confounded, it's, uh, right? Because because we know that you're you're, you're it's not noble. It's <laughs> no, it's incredibly <laughs> selfish. And what he's doing is incredibly right. selfish. It's all about he's neglecting him. his entire you know, yeah. It, it, right. He walks off the job. You know to go to right. go. You know. So so we know that he's in that that troubles in store for for Rooney and and it creates some of the best physical comedy of the you know as he gets you know his you know what makes him this principal um you know just gets shredded and you know his shoes his pants his suit everything's <laughs> ripping and falling apart you know so he's uh <laughs> right um and he's <laughs> he's gimping around at the end of the movie he's basically reduced to one of the students, you know, that, right. that, that you know, forced to share a warm gummy bear on the bus with a <laughs> myopic with an, teen. An outcast in the back of the bus. It's just this great degradation yeah. of this 
person of authority right. to just nothing. And it, and it, and we have zero sympathy for the guy right. too. I mean, no one no one feels sorry for Rooney because his because his motives were so misguided. If you know, it's it's such a it's it's like I said, you can see that the hero. You know, mm-hmm. he's the person who who decides that that the person who takes responsibility for his own actions and is willing to act outside of the, the norms is right. utterly to be uh, rejected and punished and feared and squashed. Right. He's another tyrant king. Oh yeah, he's he is. He's a, the, you know, Ferris represents an uprising. You know, if his if his student body and he says <laughs> in order he affects my ability to govern this student body. Yep. Like I'm in charge of all these kids, <laughs> and uh, he's he's messing with my ability to do that. If they all did what they wanted to do, if they all did this, yeah. it'd be anarchy, just chaos. You know, and uh, and then and, the administrator he, says. He, what he does, he makes you look like an ass. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's what he does. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So and she, it brings it back to him, and exactly. it's really his. She points out that it's his problem. Right, so right. He's externalizing this right, thing. Right, right. Really, he's just not a very good principal. No, he's got a very tenuous no. hold on the students. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't actually care about them that much. Yeah. He's externalized these inner struggles. Right, and if there's, you know, if we look and see what Cameron learns, maybe Rooney can learn something from this thing as well. I mean, <laughs> right, he could have. He's a, you know, if if he has had some, if this this horrible day for him has caused any introspection at all, (laughs) maybe it is that, you know, you have agency too, Mr. Rooney. You know, you could actually, you don't need to do, you know, this. Imagine if if Rooney had done the opposite. If he had, instead of fighting it the whole time, if he had jumped on the bandwagon with the kids with a support Ferris like fundraiser or something, made a banner, had had a school assembly, (laughs) and and just amplified this big lie that Ferris made. That's gonna blow over anyway. He could have. We could have won by playing his own game. There you go. You know, like, and not only that, he would have increased his hold on the students. He would have shown that all these students are actually he's on the same side as them. His his entire everything he was trying to do by you know governing the student body right. could have actually been facilitated right. if he had been able to be flexible that now, way. Now we know we need him as our villain. We need him to provide right. tension, you know, it has to be you know there, there, we need him in there for for Definitely. for that. But if we want to try to go a little deeper on him and I think we we do. <laughs> <laughs> then uh yeah, he's uh he needs some self-examination, right? I mean, we Absolutely. we're we're hoping that he that he does. Um that he does grow. Well, I'm hoping. And, but, uh, and uh, <laughs> it would be yeah, his best it, interest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a that's a person who doesn't know himself either, right? right? Not I at mean, all. there's a there's a real, um, you know, he, he doesn't know who he is any more than Sloane and and saying, I don't I don't really know what I want to do. I don't. It's know, like if Jeannie had it, grown up but not not been transformed, right? And right. she had become a principal. That's that's yeah, where you end yeah. up is is bitter and grumpy and right. and vindictive and right. And, yeah, I mean, he's not, you know, you would think, oh, I work in schools, and, you know, we like to think that, you know, a lot of the people that run our schools, they really do, there's a really great care for young people and a desire yeah, to help so. people, and it's a very altruistic kind of lifestyle that you choose when you get into education. You don't you don't get into it to, to be uh, policing kids or to, <laughs> you know, forcing kids to your will or, bend, you know, having them, right. you know, be quiet and listen to me kind of thing. Um, so you want to sort of be with them as they're as they're growing and learning. And Rooney does not have that. And I have to say, they do such a 
the teachers are also awful um, and the classes are awful. Um, they're, they're, and, and again, this is a movie made for teenagers and every kid can relate. And even as an adult, you can relate to, you know, the, you know, anyone, anyone, anyone. And the, and the complete <laughs> apathy and, and crushing boredom of, of, a, of a, a, a lecture. Uh, the English right. teacher gets the, you know, gets to throw out all the irony. And, right. and, and this discussion is just it's just awful. Uh, so I wish I could remember the exact quote, because that quote that the teacher was talking about was was talking about a prison. And then he right. described how the, the prison is ironic right then. <laughs> <laughs> Sloan is actually getting the prison break. Right, right. I know. That's it. I know. It's it's hilarious. Very clever. But the um, yeah, they, it, it's it's kind of hard when you watch movies about schools because they often don't get it, especially uh, as a teacher. But yeah, yeah. But that one is. But that's all very deliberate and very mm. all, and, and and very accurate. You know, if you think of it through, you know, these are movies that are made for young people. You know, mm. this is uh, it was that was who this movie was made for. This wasn't made for adults. Um, I think adults can certainly find joy in it, but you know, at the time when it came out, it was people were like, "Wow, this is, this is cool! It's a movie all about teenagers." The adults are secondary in this film, you know. And again, when you look at the portrayal of the adults in the film, um, I think they're 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 not very good. All the all the even any of the none of the knowledge, none of the growth comes from any of the adults. No. Which is where Rooney presumes that he would be the one who would be, you know, I can right. I, I I can have the control. I can make I have the power to make these kids grow um or not grow. <laughs> but we but really the adults are really ineffectual in the whole throughout the whole movie. Right. In it's fact, like- even uh even the Charlie Sheen sort of Criminal is right. the one who breaks through to Jeannie and t- gets and her to realize it. More than an adult, anyway. Right, yeah. he's just sort of you know like the you know, eighteen-year-old rebel in there for drugs. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, if you think about that, the the adults really do nothing in this film. Right, and, and what I suppose the that might be a continued uh, aspect of that theme of of over of too much structure. Yeah, too much. Um, sort of the, the tyrant king being a, a hindrance to growth because mm-hmm. the, all the personal growth happens as a result of breaking through old structures. That's true. Not that they always need to be, but but children tend to do that more readily. I think just because they're less familiar and less accustomed to those uh, those structures, and they don't mm-hmm. see them as impenetrable as much. You know, they're just not broken yet. Whereas right. a lot of the the adults. Tend, you tend to lose that as you grow up. I think you're right. That sense of creativity. Right. I mean, that's that. That's why they're in the, the hand line of a bunch of kids walking through the museum. Right. You right. Know, they're, they're experiencing that edge of of what is understood at like a child, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of yeah. where art does. It explores that edge of the articulate, um, and they do they do a really good job with that. Right. Right. I've got a kind of a funny question for you. What what do you think is the significance of the float and the two songs that they sang? Mm, well, so what's the, uh, the Donka Shane? That's mm-hmm. the, and the, uh, and, and then the, twi- the Beatles version of Twist and Shout. Um, that's actually an interesting interlude in the, in the film, the way that the parade does. And mm-hmm. the, and the, be- what I got from that, I mean, apart from, I haven't given a lot of thought to the actual songs too much but one thing that really came out to me was that you you got this unification that Mm -hmm. that what ferris does in the parade scene is he unifies everybody yeah the whole city great uniter 
Um, So there is, you know, young, old, black, white, you know, every, you know, walk of life in Chicago and this vibrant city is all together and engaged yeah it's yeah and it's 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 pretty rapturous it's pretty exciting it's a it's a great you know it's a long part of the film if you look at it it's a big scene yeah they play the twist and shout song from in its entirety like that's usually you know you get the whole right you get a couple clips but that the whole thing there's a there's a kind of an interesting sort of choreographed dance with african-americans and the the thing that like yeah us too we're we're in this too like it's just interesting the way that uh but but it is everybody coming together Mm -hmm. so i mean it's it could be what we're talking about that it because ferris lives the life that he does and he does um understand the power that he has and that he's going to do he's going to take a stand he's going to do what he needs to do um that that this is the this is the byproduct of that, that when you do that, I mean, amazing things can happen. Right. I mean, that's, that is the archetypal, uh, hero's story in some sense, like that, at least as in, in a typical hero's journey type story is the hero, uh, comes back with the ability to bring the whole city together or right, he, he becomes yeah. the king. And so he, there he, you go. Then yeah. unites everyone under this new well-supported king right, or whatever. Right. And the funny thing about this particular story is that the you know the change doesn't actually happen in Ferris, right? And so right. he's already the king. He already exemplifies yeah. this archetypal yeah. hero, and and as such, he is able to unite the the whole yeah. uh, the whole city. Yeah, just that's as a function of being who he is. Right, not really right. even intentionally. Is right. Of, it's just sort of uh, yeah, just sort uh, of happens around him. Right. Now I think that's um. So that's um. So that's what I got out of it for oh. sure. Is this uh, this idea that this guy has has become the great unifier? And I like what you said about how, in a in a, a typical story or in a, in a, a, some story tropes, there's this idea of the king becoming the ability to lead and to unify. Mm-hmm. And the the he- sorry the hero becoming the king at the end. And, right. and you know, so um. But what do you? I'll throw your question back to you. Uh, specifically, why twist and shout and Donka Shane to be these? It was something I was thinking about. I didn't have a good answer for. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you know, when you pick you pick music, even like the art that we were looking at in the uh-huh. theater, you pick that stuff as a director or producer really intentionally. Right. Right. And I, I imagine it was probably a hit song at the time. I didn't look at when those things became most popular. Right. Right. Um, I, I, yeah, I really didn't have a good answer. I mean, Danke Shane is, is a combination of two different languages. Right. Uh, it's, a, it's a German phrase, means thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, obviously, Twist and Shout. Wasn't that originally uh, Hispanic? Um, wait, no, no. That's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking of a different one. I think we were thinking maybe La Bamba. Yeah, La Bamba, uh, exactly. Uh, the, uh, yeah. No, the uh, Twist and Shouts is... is uh, that's the this one is the Beatles version of Twist and Shout that he does, but right. there's a the, that's not the original Twist and Shout, which is like a like a, kind of like a chubby checker or a, um, uh, I'm not sure who I the no original. Idea. I don't it. I don't know where that was. So, but there is a there is a raucousness to the mm-hmm. Beatles version that's not that, definitely that, that is uh, that fits well with Ferris. Well, and the Beatles are one of those groups that really appealed to everyone. I mean, that was right. a, I mean, that, that, that song is still a popular song. Right. And we right. sing that in, uh, in sixth grade camp uh-huh. as a counselor to, with the, uh, you know, the teacher on a guitar and we all sing it. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's, it's really universal. Right. And, you know, Donka Shane is, is, I don't understand that song very well. Right. But the key phrase being thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Ferris maybe is, is recognizing even that, that who he is while, while he does 
take ownership of of what he can right it's still his experience of the world is largely dependent on other people's responses and other people doing mm. the same as he does and so maybe it's a, a little bit of a recognition of of uh, a little bit of a humble. it's not exactly a humble recognition but it's no. a it's a flamboyant <laughs> recognition of that he's not you know, he's not the end all and that he's still dependent on others and yeah. others, uh, participation in what he does, right. you know, whether that's Cameron bringing over his car or his right. parents, you know, providing him all of this ridiculously expensive sound equipment that he right, uses right. there in his house <laughs> <laughs> among other things. Yeah. Um, I think that's great. I, and it is worth pointing out that he does do that song twice. You know, there, he sings that song in the beginning in the shower too. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it, it has a sort of a, he reprises that song again at the at the I end. Think Rooney is is mumbling it at some point when he's standing out. That's in front of the right. Door That's right. He does. He, it comes. Yeah. So that so there's something to that song. I mean, there's right. a reason it's yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a better answer. For I that. know. I know. If we have to look at that one a little more carefully. Um, yeah, Ferris's hat. Uh, that that beret he wears when uh-huh. they when they take off. I, I noticed the insignia, so I figured that had to be significant somehow. Okay, so that insignia on Ferris's hat mm-hmm. belonged to the 32nd Armored Infantry Division, which apparently was the division that Elvis Presley was in. All right. I mean, that's what it was known for, whatever, in the little article right? I found. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Oh, well, yeah. Weird little tidbit there, but nice. obviously Elvis Presley's another one of these rock star hero characters right, right. who really owned, he pushed the edge of, of what was right. acceptable. You know, yeah, he, yeah. He did things on He TV did his thing his own way. Do. He did what he was going to do. Yep. Was, is, is Don Cashane, is that by Sinatra? Um, is that who said I don't who, think it was Sinatra. Lydia, actually, my wife, said where that was from. But I didn't catch it. I think when we look at the lyrics of Don Shane, I think we both agree that uh, it's a it's a, a pleasant memory, an appreciation of something that's happened in the past, and a little I, bit nostalgic. A little bit nostalgic, a lot nostalgic actually, um, and and just appreciating, you know, the the day, and and that's I think kind of what happens in this movie, right? That this uh, hopefully that they look back at this day, um, Cameron Sloan. Genie yeah, Cameron says say, that's the best day I've had in my whole right, life. There by you the go. End. So thank you, right, <laughs> Donka Shane. This is a for the experience, for the memory, for the, for the you know, for the beauty mm-hmm. of you know. So I think it, it works appropriately, uh, appropriately there. And the fact that it shifts to Twist and Shout, which is this this uh, music that was actually originally written by some black folks, yeah, um, at a time when they weren't terrible. Well, everyone was appreciating the art they were producing mm-hmm. while not wanting to give them credit for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Ferris goes into into that song next, which is becomes the initiation of of not only him and his friends and the small, the float, that's kind of when the whole city starts to engage in with what right, he's doing. Right. It's this inviting song that everyone can get on board with. Yeah. Yeah. It's also in the round. There's that echo. So it's one of those songs uh-huh. that you sing and the crowd. And there's sings a little callback to you. Yeah. Right. 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 Which, and then when they, ah, that's yep. a great part exactly. too. A couple of times in that. Right. Right. So everyone can get in on that. Right. Um, and, and maybe that's part of what Ferris's whole message is of this whole thing. And that, right. that his opening and closing line of, right. you know, life goes by fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you miss it. Right. And that goes for everybody, right? right. Everybody in the whole city of Chicago. And it's, if Chicago is a microcosm of the world, then everybody can, right. can follow 
Ferris's tenant and and, <laughs> and live a happy happy life. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's worth that's worth reiterating too, especially for all you folks living in the cities. It's it's tough in the city. You know, I'm I'm fortunate in that I actually live out in the woods and and uh, I, I am drawn by the beauty around me to look around me. Mm-hmm. But in in a city, you know, when I walk down Sacramento. Um, I see buildings and the buildings are stark and they're bland colors and they're gray. And, and especially on a day like today when there's smoke in the air, right. it's just this very, you don't really want to look up. There's not really any reason to mm-hmm. look anywhere but forward and what you're doing and to right. think about whatever the next thing is. Yeah. And that can be, it gets dismal. It's, yeah. It loses the color of life. Uh-huh. The kind of things that you would sing songs about and write mm-hmm. paintings that are paid paintings of. Right. It, the the flavor of life can go out in, mm-hmm. in in some of those circumstances unless you force yourself to look up unless right. you force yourself to unless you take see a some day, of that beauty you know? yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> do something sick. divergent do right, something yeah. way outside the ordinary right right um, you know and that's that's I think ultimately one of the, the big practical applications to to the moral of this story is that even in the midst of of the mundane routine sometimes it's worth it just to escape you know have some fun play mm-hmm. sure you know, humans are humans are one of the few species of animals that don't ever stop playing as mm-hmm. you get older and it's actually really critical for our psyches to to engage right, right. Uh, throughout our lives right and, and i think ferris bueller captures that that somehow play and creativity and enjoyment and, and seeking out beauty in the midst of everything that's going on, being willing right. to stop and smell the roses is actually key to uh, key to becoming key to change, key right. to, to growth, to overcoming uh, stifling structures, right. overcoming hyper authoritarianism. Even mm-hmm. you know the, the suggestion is that that to, the beginning point is is stopping and and appreciating beauty where it may be found. Right. Yeah. And and I think with that comes this issue of perspective you know like getting a a new and fresh perspective on something that might be kind of you know they've lived in chicago for a long time but i don't think cameron ever really saw chicago until that day so you know the change of perspective be that from you know looking at a building from the top floor and 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 having that perspective or going to an art museum and seeing that perspective taking the time or taking in uh, and engaging in a you know baseball mm-hmm. contest, and right. they're actually if you watch them watch the baseball game, they're not passive watchers of that game. There's a very right. active, they're involved in it. yeah, they're very calling present. out, yeah. There's so they're not mm-hmm. passively watching. He even gets the ball, and, right. you know, so there's they're they're active active participants in their lives at that at that point. Uh, um, so this so funny the, thing yeah, where... the perspective I think is is important there. It is. Oh, and Cameron. So it's funny. Cameron's attitude the whole way through where he keeps feeling like, oh, we need to get back to the car. Oh, I need to go home. Are we done yet? Like, I, uh, I'm i feeling terrible. Can we go home now? His, it reminds me of, <laughs> to, to bring it, to make it a little more relevant, it reminds me of the persistent uh, draw of my phone in my pocket. Uh, it's like yeah. this reminder of, you know, oh, check, see what's going on. Right, Make sure right. you didn't miss something. Yeah, uh, you should yeah. Get back to what you were doing. And it's this grumbling, ever-present reality of like, yes, life is still there. <laughs> like the, all the mundane things are still sitting there in the background. Yeah. And and if you 
if you can't learn to ignore them a little bit, you're never going to enjoy what you're doing. I like that. You're going to stop early. You're going to quit before right, you know, right. the, you've had the fullness of the experience you set out to do. Right. You know, and it's, it's <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't let that stop. Don't you. let that stop you. And enjoy. I think, yeah, appreciate Fer- that. Moment. Ferris got a, a point. Now there's a, what, there is a line and I don't know if you agree with it or not, but Sloan says to uh, Ferris as they part, um, you knew exactly what you were going to do when you woke up today. Right. And, and he doesn't really respond to that, but there's this sort of no. this idea that, they, uh, so do you think he does, or is that just part of being Ferris that it's going to, things are going to go your way because he's living the life he should be living. What do you think? I think, I think he completely had in mind what he was going to do today, but at the same time he was ready to, to be spontaneous. Uh-huh. I think yeah. it was both. Yeah, and you know, obviously and, the right. first scene you see him, he's talking to the to the camera like a narrator, and he's tying a knot on his little trophy, setting up his whole rig for his room. <laughs> right, and it's just like he had this thing all planned out. You don't have yeah. to think about it. He's just right, gonna just set it up, and out he goes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he's so confident that his buddy Cameron's gonna come pick him up in his car. Right, that despite his first you know three comments about not having a car. Right, you know he knows it's gonna work out okay in the end. Right. He's getting dressed. He's getting ready. He's you know no one's gonna be fine. Yeah, and he and, and doesn't Ferris say something? like you know and right now he's probably sitting in the car deciding if he wants to come over and, yeah and we cut to cameron who's doing exactly that so he, he knows he knows his uh knows so his yeah i think well. he, i think he does uh but um i think he does know exactly what he wanted to do that day and you, it, you don't yeah. get to pack that much uh enjoyment in at random it, it, life right. doesn't happen that way you right. got to be prepared and luck favors the prepared oh yeah yeah and i think that we, i like that it's not uh, like always a red carpet that rolls out in front of him there's he's got a pivot he's got a and there's enough examples in the film that mm-hmm. you know yeah luck does favor the prepared and so when things start going a little south or when something turns or doesn't go the right way boom 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 he can he, he pivots and he and yeah. he makes it all work even like i said going back to that car where things don't work you never see him get down it's always okay well now we'll do this right okay, well, he wasn't even this. planning on so, taking the car at the beginning uh, uh. He, he made the most of the fact that uh cameron made a little bit of a goof up and said that told the principal to go out there with sloan right so they, right so they had to take the car because right. they couldn't show up in cameron's old beater yeah yeah I, I caught something else in that um part where and I think it maybe I'm reading too much into it or viewing too much into it. But, That's what we're here for. But, the, <laughs> <laughs> but I noticed at that point where Cameron sort of messed up, um, and 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 uh, Ferris hits him physically, hits him, and it brings Cameron into this into that child again. He's the he's the mm-hmm. child who can't do anything right, and I'm tired of being part of your stupid games. So he's it, it, it really yeah it really kind of but it makes him. You know, it, it makes you think, it made me think of his relationship with his father. Mm-hmm. That that's exactly what his father does to right. him. You're not good enough. And you're then stupid. the change right after that, when Ferris apologizes. And yeah, it's yeah. kind of a weak apology. You know, I don't, I don't really like him in that moment. He, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not a... I'm, I was, remember when I was watching it uh, this last time, I was thinking... You're a manipulator, Ferris. <laughs> you are really, uh, and you're doing this for you. Yes. You really are. It, it really does appear to be very selfish because I, I, I got to call him because I don't have a car. Right. You know, so. But uh, the inner monologue uh, that he has mm-hmm. and the, which he then gives to the camera is that he knows it's also what's best for Cameron. Right. Like right. he knows it's for him, mm-hmm. but he's, if you can believe that inner monologue or that inner dialogue, where uh-huh. he's, you know, narrating and there's a presumption of honesty when, with a narrator. Right. Um, 
if you can believe that, he he also recognized that actually Cameron needs this, right? And when he, he says more than he does, and and right. he's right about that. Cameron does need that mm-hmm. more than he does. And there's something about the the anti fragility of an individual to be subjected to that sorts of chaotic moments that actually mm-hmm. end up being beneficial for them. Right, right. I think it's. I agree completely, and I think that we. It's a great way to develop character, right? I mean, we totally. may, we're, it's a, we, he's richer and we understand him more, Cameron, because of that moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about what we learned from him at that, at that time, you know what I mean? And we, you know, basically that is a good scene about how it, it helps establish where he's at. Right. Emotionally. Right. Yeah. And it, and it does, it made me think of the father issue, you know what I mean? Like totally. that, that, you know. I, I don't like being told I'm stupid. I don't, don't like, like being, being pushed, pushed around. Pushed around. Um, but I'm doing this all the time. Right. I mean, this is my life. That I'm and he was in. trying his best, too. Yeah. He's like, what are, you, yeah. what are you punishing me when I'm doing my best to try right. and you know, right. pull this off for you? Yeah. And, yeah. and he, of course, that sounds like exactly the sort of thing his father yeah, that, would do. Exactly. Never that I could enough. never quite measure up. Right. So we, you know, so I think it's this brilliant scene of, you know, moves the plot forward because mm-hmm. it makes we have to now pivot and change how we're going to pick up Sloan. And so there's a, it it does move the plot, but more importantly, it helps reveal character. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where, if I can work with students and get them to realize um, that we really should be paying attention to these characters and what it is that's making them grow and what it is that's making them tick and why are they making the decisions that they're making? um, Then what happens, what emerges is this really, really round, very rich character Mm -hmm. um, that you realize, oh my gosh, there's all kinds of commentary on human nature that's going on through this one character. And the plot sort of drops away Mm -hmm. and becomes kind of secondary. Because an interesting character, um, you can put him in almost any situation. And like, oh, how's he going to do if he's going to, you know, find out uh, who killed his father? What's he going to do if he's uh, looking for, you know, a treasure? Or what's he going to do if he's, you know, finds, uh, comes across a, a car accident and has to find out what happened? I mean, if the character's interesting, the the place that you put them is not, not doesn't as become right, as the individual. right, right, because I think that that's where, and and so these these are, I mean, film is is. These these are it's very character rich. These these characters are all really 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 good. Very I rare. think they're really yeah they're they're very good. And and the the sister the daughter too, Jeannie. She's a she's a. It's interesting that they include her in there because there is a you. I'm not sure not if you necessary. really yeah if she you don't really really need her. She's right. a not she, for the plot. She's a counter to to Ferris, mm-hmm. right? She the is older sister. She's she's she, but she externalizes, mm-hmm. and and Ferris never would do that. Ferris would never blame circumstance for his inability to be happy she's kind um, of a she's kind of a, a firstborn sort of like a typical stereotypical yeah. firstborn syndrome is she is she the firstborn yeah she's the older one she's got the car now, i don't know if she's the older one because she's because he's going to graduate right uh and she's yeah, still in school gonna graduate but so I, maybe they're twins maybe they're supposed to be twins yeah, i was gonna say i never really thought of that but when you said that she's the older one i'm like wait no because then she would be graduated that's my uh my <laughs> bias because i've got an older sister who she it's funny so yeah. when she watches this movie she can't stand it ferris just drives her nuts oh yeah in, yeah in the past because <laughs> i've always been the more ferris type character right i'm right. willing to bend things and yeah and work my way around right right i can't get away with stuff well there but she's really good rule follower well we can all i think and that's another part that i think is that 
is why <laughs> she's not a very likable character, the genie character, no. and she's not nice to other people. You mentioned no, her right. interactions she's not nice with people. Her. Aren't nice to her, in right? Turn, yeah, generally. she yeah. So she's sort of made her own, you know, mm-hmm. sort of uh, path there. You know, she's got people right. that, that she's that she's not well liked, and, and people aren't kind to her. Um, but yeah, w- what is her um, her purpose in the film? Is I believe it's more to be just the the anti fairy like so, so this is what ferris if you're if you're like ferris this is what your life can be <laughs> if you're not like ferris and you're like genie this is what your life can be i mean she really she's the the, the second the reinforcing iteration of the internalization thing you know the charlie sheen uh talking to her in the police office is a is a critical moment because he's the one who really puts the you know the finger on the on the problem mm-hmm. saying that well the problem's not with Ferris it's with you yeah and and he makes that really clear and then Cameron obviously has that line in the end where he reiterates that right um, I think it's it's a point worth making twice because yeah. it's it's easy to see and I, this is actually one of my favorite parts about this movie is there when I ask people about Ferris Bueller I get one of two responses either oh I love that movie it's so great or I hate that movie. It drives me nuts. (laughs) I can't believe he gets away with everything. And so those are the people who identify with Genie. With Genie, right. I hate that guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that is, you know, if you're, yeah, if you're that kind of, there is a sort of a, you know, I think we've all had the friend or the acquaintance who everything seems to just go right for that person. You're kind of like, what? Come on, you know, and there's a little bit of, you know, I don't know if it's jealousy or if it's, there's a little judgment that's there, there resentment yeah. that's there. So I can I can see that. I was thinking too about the the way that the and, and she I think is one of her best pieces of acting in the whole film and that Jennifer Grey character who plays uh, Jeannie. Um, uh, when she leaves that police station, she's mm-hmm. truly changed. Right. We she's haven't we haven't seen her smile. We haven't seen her la- laugh and be yep. giddy and silly and vulnerable. And it's just such a perfect, like, okay, cool. She yeah. changed. Yeah. She, she's going to be different. She's not going to be that same na- na- uptight person that she up was. That it's it's this a guy who's a who's the druggie <laughs> who, who gets who gets through to her, right? Because, right. And this is where I think is is critical. It's like, what is it that got through to her? What is it that got through to Cameron? Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's this acceptance, this idea of acceptance. Yeah. Well, so this this druggy guy, he doesn't care where she's at. He wouldn't right, care right. why she was in there. Right, he, right. He just accepts her for who she is right there in that right. moment. It doesn't really matter. Um, and and there's it's the same thing with Cameron too. Ferris, despite all of his you know quirks and inadequacies, he just accepts Cameron for where he's at, and he's yeah. going to encourage him and push him forward into mm-hmm. new and into growth. But mm-hmm. he just he's just it's Cameron. Yeah. And he's totally okay with he doesn't he doesn't tell Cameron to stop being grumpy or you mm-hmm. know shape up or relax a little. He just lets him be just, himself yeah, right. and just drags him along for the right, ride, right. knowing that the experiences themselves will have their Right. That it will ha- actually happen organically and not right. and that's where that's where the Sheen character does that too. Like an adult would not do that. An yeah. adult would give advice and talk about how, you know, and, and if an adult had said that to Jeannie if you look at her relationships with the adults that she's had in the film, right. you know, she didn't want to hear what the no, teachers and the, and, and the, and the administrators, you know, the, yeah. The, the, so it had to come from somebody, you know, you know, someone like this, this, this character there who, like you said, he doesn't, it's, 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 it's not pretentious. It's not, it's not for him. It's mm-hmm. in some ways, I think young people, 
when they hear you give them advice or something like that, it becomes more about you than it, about them. You know right. what I mean? And they can see through that. I think right. that you're like, he like oh. sits there and looks straight at her. Oh looks yeah. In the eye yeah. And asks her a couple of very pointed questions. Yeah. And he answers and he her cares. very, and, he listens. and he's really no BS. Right. I mean, he's really like, yep. you know, non pretentious. It's just straight to the, you know, and, and I think that she appreciates that mm-hmm. and, you know, without really maybe even recognizing it or knowing it. But he definitely makes a great impact on her. He does. Um, and I think it had to be him. It couldn't be anybody else yeah. in that in that film. There's a maybe this isn't worth noting, but there's this thing I've noticed about um, people, and and you know he mentions that he's in there for drugs, <laughs> but um, there's this thing that about people in bars and 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 people who drink together. Mm-hmm. There's there's a there is a dark side to drinking together, mm-hmm. like to drinking. I mean, everyone who's who's had anyone die in a car accident knows that there's obviously a dark side to drinking. But at the same time, there is this uh, sort of emotional vulnerability that, that happens in those moments. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that this scene takes place in a police office after she's been booked for having a false call right, or right. whatever, there's this forced vulnerability that happens between the two uh, of them uh-huh. in this moment that... Uh, I've observed with people and I think it's why people drink together. What, like it's why it's such a social thing to drink because it creates a little bit of a forced vulnerability mm-hmm. um, and, and it creates opportunity for these moments of intimacy mm-hmm. that really can bring out the truth in, in a person's yeah. heart, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I uh, not, not trying to condone excessive right. intoxication, but but there's something to that that vulnerability and the openness that mm-hmm. happens and the and and the the doing that in community that brings up brings uh, can actually create progress and growth in, right, in an right. individual yeah. just like Jeannie. I think it creates an avenue creates you know paves the, sets yeah, the stage I, for that to happen sure and I'm not sure it happens any other way like I don't know mm-hmm. I've I don't know any relationships that are founded purely on connection in positive moments that go very deep um mm-hmm. people who strive together like sports teams work really hard together they're vulnerable together they they suffer together right. day in and day out in practices and practices and it bonds them and, right and work colleagues who are close are experienced the daily grind and they suffer through their bad bosses together and it's these moments of of difficulty and intimacy and in within the context of vulnerability i think that really forge those close relationships just like genie's making out with this guy within you know 10 minutes of sitting there in the police <laughs> office right yeah it's a little bit of a, of a idealized version of that but yeah. i think it's worth noting too yeah yeah that's a great observation so wrapping this up now i want to uh, address to see if you've got any more really practical takeaways uh, from this work of fiction. Um, Ferris Bueller is a really pragmatic guy. You know, he's got, he says some kind of funny philosophical things that some of his first lines, and then he follows it up with, but it doesn't matter if I don't have a car, (laughs) you know, they they could be fascist anarchists. It still wouldn't change the fact that I don't own a car is one of his quotes. (laughs) And so I appreciate his, his down to the point, nature and 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 so that's what i want to sort of close here is is there any any things that really stand out to you as look this is something i should take and apply to my life this week and ongoing yeah i think the um the the very simple 
uh, you know, we've seen it over and over and over in literature and film, this carpe diem approach to life mm-hmm. and that, you know, you don't want to be a passive observer of your life. You want to be an active participant in your life. Mm-hmm. You want to have reflection. You want to have self-awareness. And this film really celebrates those and, and honors those yeah. who seize the moment, who take are agency. active and right, who take agency, who have agency, who take action and don't. Um, blame external forces, um, you know, the, yep. the, you know, and, the, and, the, and those who neglect doing that suffer. So, mm-hmm. um, so that was, that I think is, a, you know, might, might be simplify. It might be a very simple um, So maybe one of the ways to think about that uh, in terms of like, not just, okay, stop and smell the roses. Cause that's, that is a big part of this. Mm-hmm. But the other part of that is to think, okay, if I'm if I'm going through the day and I experience a strong negative emotion about something someone says or does to me, some interaction I have, um, if if I'm angry or jealous or vindictive, stop for a moment and think, okay, how how am I the problem here? Right. Because because so often that's the case. You know, it's easy mm-hmm. to look at someone else in some of those situations, thinking, God, those people, you know, they get so much. Right. I'm thinking of. Um, how easy it can be to, to look at someone else's business. Like I'm a business owner and mm-hmm. look at someone else's business and think, ah, they just, ugh, they get, they got all the jobs. They're, they're always mm-hmm. booked. They're, it's, they're, they're doing so well, you know, mm-hmm. and, and get upset about that. But really the, the takeaway isn't, you know, look at them. It's right. how, what am I, how look am I the me. problem? <laughs> right. Why am I upset about this? Right. What can I actually do to change? Right. Right. Where's the responsibility I can take? And mm-hmm. I think ultimately that's going to lead me to a to a happier life. I would agree completely. I mean, I've been working with young people for a long time, and it is a sad trend that I've seen in the past decade that mm. there's a, there is a, a a much more oh it's a the default is blame right m- most of the time mm-hmm. where I don't really recall seeing that so much years and years and years ago. I know. So there's it does seem to be. You know, it's not what's my part in this. It's you know, it's very How externalized, am I the right? It's it's, even, it's it's a lot of genies out there yeah. who are who are angry and bitter and don't realize. Well, and they're all talking to each other uh, online and encouraging each other, right? Saying, validating each other's oh, yeah. feelings the, of victimness, right? The echo chamber <laughs> the, does not, you know, the personalized news feed does not do anything to really help that. Uh, no. But but yeah, the the. The, that's I think that's a huge one. The issue of right. um, that it's the, the, the blame is not where it is. It's the it's the Charlie Sheen line, right? You yeah, know, when I a, think about you're my the problem. Closest <laughs> friends too. Uh, I I can tolerate and not just tolerate. I can enjoy almost anyone I'm around, except for a person who won't take responsibility for anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like uh, I I think of some of my employees. Like I'm a tree business, so accidents happen. I know they're gonna happen. Right. We try to avoid them. We do what we can. I just, it's going to be, it's a part of the job and I can, and I can be totally okay with an, any employee that's, that causes an accident as long as they're willing to take responsibility for mm-hmm. it. Generally, if they take responsibility, re- responsibility for it, I will then take responsibility for them. Mm-hmm. I'll fix the problem. No, no harm done. You know, we'll make it, we'll, we'll make it right. Right. But, but when I, when I have someone who wants to blame, uh, huh. Make over and over again, make excuses. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Then I, there's nothing I can do. I can't help right, them. Right, I, right. They, they, they're not willing to address the problem. Right. And 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 I'm immediately frustrated, and and I don't want to deal with that person. And right. It's, it's really, um, it's irritating. It's irritating it, it, to be it, around this. Yeah, people. it can be. It's a. It, it certainly can be, and it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. And it's um, 
you know, we we have a thing in my family is, you know, you're you're allowed to vent and you're allowed to mm-hmm. complain about a situation. Right. <laughs> and we all do. And I think venting is, is important. But venting without a solution or mm-hmm. being not solution oriented, we always pride ourselves on being proactive. So we see something we don't like, whatever it might be happening in yeah. our family dynamic. And and then we, we gripe about it and then we work to change it. Yeah. What and can so, I do about that? But if you look at Jeannie, for example... Mm-hmm. Her whole the whole film is her complaining about it, and she does <laughs> nothing about her situation, but just get herself so worked up. She gets angrier and angrier and angrier that she eventually the, leaves school early. As the, <laughs> as the as you know, I'm so frustrated with things, but I'm doing nothing about it. Right. Like I'm I'm gonna do. I guess she does think like what I'll do about it is I'll try to bust my brother. You know, I'm right. gonna go yeah. get him. Um, but again, that's mm-hmm. going after. The external, the, the external problem, problem right. whereas it's instead of like, why is this bothering me so much? Or what, mm-hmm. what, what can I do to make myself not feel this way? Right. Um, and even so, if it doesn't seem like it's going to solve the problem so often addressing our own issue, if, if it doesn't, if it doesn't solve the problem, it solves our, our discomfort with the problem. Sure. And usually that's enough. Yeah. And that's often the best thing anyone can do because problems are complicated. You know, we yeah. look at, we look at issues on the outside, like political issues, for example. Those are really, really complicated issues. Mm-hmm. And people get all up in arms about them. But the reality is virtually no one knows how to solve these problems. And mm-hmm. we all agree on the same things, but but they're too complicated to to have simple solutions. Right. And therefore, the best thing we can do is to solve what's going on within ourselves right. and you know, take responsibility for our own feelings and try and become the kind of person who can unite the city there you go. rather than, uh, you know, splinter it into a million little factions. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. It was great talking to you today, Josiah. So it was, good, a, good was a, a lot too. of fun. <laughs> That's Ferris Bueller from truth and fiction. Uh, join us again next week where we will be talking about Ender's game. All right. The one of novel. my favorite pieces of literature. All right. One of yep. my favorites too. So, See you then. We'll brush up on some ethics and uh, we'll have a good discussion. Catch you next week. See you next week.